OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Um, welcome. Thank you for joining us. And the way that uh, we like to start is if you can give us a little bit more on your background. So kind of through your banking days to the coaching, there's a lot of great things that, that you've yeah. accomplished. Yeah. I'd love to learn a bit more about that and then yeah. share a little bit about what you're up to today. And then one thing about you that nobody would know. <laughs> well, if I answer the first part, I won't have time to think about the last one. So <laughs> let me jump in. I'm uh, raised, born and raised in Montreal, uh, attended McGill University, uh, Bachelor of Commerce it was, with a uh, concentration on uh, information technology. Uh, so career number one, which lasted from uh, 74 when I graduated from McGill and ended uh, in 2003, so it's almost 30 year span, was mostly information technology. I, uh, I was a poor programmer, so I quickly became a boss, <laughs> starting with analyst and then uh, project manager and eventually running these businesses of uh, IT consulting. I worked for a company that's today called Accenture, but when I was there, I had a different name, you know, Anderson, Anderson Consulting, etc. So I did 10 years with uh, Anderson, uh, five years with Oracle, running uh, services from Toronto for all of Canada. Uh, and at the beginning and the end of this career, I was in financial services. My first job was uh, with uh, Royal Trust Company, which you're too young to know, was bought by Bank of Montreal because the Royals and the Montreal's crosses, you know. Bank of Montreal bought Royal Trust and Royal Bank bought Montreal Trust. So <laughs> it's just, it's, it's an X, it's, it's crossed. So I, I started my career there running uh, programming portfolio management system. So yeah, as you can see, I had always two interests, technology and, and finance. And after working for Accenture, uh, for private companies and Oracle, I eventually uh, joined a bank again. So I joined National Bank of Canada, where I was an executive reporting to the CEO. Uh, this was 2001 now, and I was in charge of what they called e-commerce, this, this old thing, uh, which 20 years ago, uh, the banks thought this was the next best thing to slice bread. So uh, it took them a while to recruit me, but uh, at the end, they gave me all of the channels like uh, call center, uh, all of the alternative channels, call center, web, stuff like that, and, and also payments and MasterCard. So the job became interesting enough that I took it, but it lasted two years. And then I said, that's it for career number one. And, and since then, I've done two things which are, are different. Uh, don't cross each other. They don't merge. Uh, I do executive coaching, all industries, all functions. The only folks I haven't coached are priests and rabbis. And I think they, that's because they have their own coach. But I've coached. Or it's about, coming. No, it's coming. Yes, hopefully. <laughs> so I, I'm in the last 19 years, I think I've coached close to 125 people. Uh, and next to that, I've, I, I fell into a career of angel investing and, and later VC. Uh, I fell into it naturally. Uh, one of the first things that I did when I left career number one, other than learning coaching, was taking a uh, board education. 
board member education. U of T uh, did uh, their first session in Montreal at McGill University, and I was part of that cohort number one that was taught by the uh, U of T uh, uh, people uh, teaching uh, how to be a board member. So I got that certification, and so naturally, some friends of mine running portfolios of startups uh, said, well, we need more of these independent uh, directors because we're tired of sitting of all the, on all the boards that we own uh, shares in. So I started one board, two board, 10 boards. And eventually somebody said, you know, do you know somebody that could invest in this startup? And I looked at it and said, well, yes, me. <laughs> so that's how I put my hand in, in le tardeur, as we say in French, this this piece where it will grab your hand and <laughs> until it's you're up into the your shoulder uh, and so one startup became two three four and uh, eventually i decided i wanted to go live in europe so i did that uh, i didn't sell this, these investments because they're not sellable but I, i stopped investing for a while when i was living in paris uh, but when i came back i just went at it with revenge so so today i have 15 uh, active investments in these startups uh, five of which i'm on the board three of which i'm chair of the board uh, etc and in parallel i met some people that asked if i would be uh, interested in working with them uh, in a uh, vc fund toronto-based canadian vc fund it's called framework venture partners and so i've joined them as a uh, as a venture partner which means i don't work 60 hours a week like them but i cover deal flow for uh, for uh, my neighborhood here quebec and i'm also active as a limited partner with them And I'm also, uh, this is where the coaching kicks in as well. I, I do, before we invest in portfolio companies in this, uh, in this fund, I, I do a profile, a human profile of the founders. Uh, and you know, that's part of our, it becomes part of our investment memo of why we're doing this deal. And we share, of course, the info with the founders. And, and later, most of the time, we also do it for the whole executive team where you know we look at gaps for the team and we look at lessons that we can learn on how this team can work better so so that's where i am today you know doing uh 60 days of skiing in the winter uh, 70 rounds of golf in the summer and, and around that you know i position some work doing some coaching assignments and some uh, angel investing uh, i'm also on the board of Ange quebec uh, i've been active there for uh, for the last uh, five six years and quite involved. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. You're like the sensei. I love it. All the things that you've uh, just talked to are absolutely brilliant. So one thing about you that no one would know. That I'd never, I know everybody knows everything about me, but uh, let's, let's say something that you wouldn't suspect. You know, I write books. You know, people know because if you write books, you want them to know. But in general, uh, people that work with me in business would not know that I've written a, a book of short stories that's been published. And I've written two other books that I've published myself, uh, one of which deals with uh, 11, 11 of my coaching clients. Uh, so it's not natural for a business person to, uh, to also be uh, uh, to have some literary activities. So, uh, so that's, let's, let's consider a good answer. That's a great answer. I love it. So you've got lots of passions, do a lot of great things and, and you write books, man, full rounded. I love it. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. So I like wine and I play guitar too, but uh, not as, not as good. 
<laughs> uh, those are all great attributes as well. Um, well, there, there was a bunch of things that, that you talked about and that I've learned through. I've watched a couple of your videos. I saw, uh, I haven't read your books yet, but now that I know you have books, I'm going to find them and I'm going to read those as well. Uh, but what I really wanted to dive into is that, you know, in all of the um, interviews and podcasting that we get to do, there's a couple areas that we don't always get to touch on. And I think that you really exemplify how this actually should be looked at. And that is on your executive coaching. And of course, on the board seats. Um, I think that one, they're both two underrated components that don't get a lot of love in the environment and especially don't in early stage companies because, well, founders obviously don't have maybe the mindset, the dollars or the ability to be able to work on that. Um, but you've been able to take that and drive that through uh, framework ventures and a lot of the different pieces that you do work in, which is amazing. So maybe we can kind of step back into how that banking experience and all the things that you've had throughout time, how that actually got you into that executive line of coaching. And maybe we can, well, while we are kind of exploring that, come up with like, say, if there's one or two, three things that you like to share that you've learned to the founders that can help them start to think about how they're going to build this new venture going forward. Yeah. Well, the link between the IT career and the coaching is not natural. So uh, some coincidence in, in life. So when I quit my last job at the National Bank, uh, you know, I was wondering what else to do with the rest. I was 50, so it's not over. So through uh, the golf club in Montreal, I had met this person. Uh, who was an industrial psychologist and he became a friend. So before leaving the bank, I, I, you know, I asked him advice on how to leave the bank properly and what to do next. And, but I had noticed that he also had a, uh, uh, subsidiary of his company because his company was in career transitioning. So he was helping people who got fired, find, find new jobs, but he had started this other outfit, which was doing executive coaching. And sometimes when I was calling him, you know, they would say, oh, you can't talk to him. He's, he's in a coaching session. So that's kind of, uh, I was curious about that. So, you know, uh, so when I asked Bob, that's his name, uh, you know, what to do next, uh, I asked him, you know, what's this thing? What's, what's executive coaching? I said, well, we'll get to that later. Let's see. Let's see what you're good at. And, and at the end of the exercises and the testing, he said, you know what, you know, coaching, you might be good at that too. Uh, but even though I own this company, I don't decide who gets to coach. It's this person, Julien, he's the guru. So go see Julien. And if Julien says you can coach, you can coach. So that's how it happened. Mm -hmm. uh, but in, in reflecting uh, on my past in my careers, uh, and that's an exercise that Bob had me do, I, I, I noticed that uh, at, at uh, Anderson Consulting, Accenture, as well as at Oracle, there were periods where we were asked to do human related stuff, you know, whether it's uh, with, uh, uh, what's his name? The guy who wrote uh, uh, seven best, the ha seven habits. Yeah. Seven habits. Mis you know, I, I, I was trained in seven habits at Anderson became a black belt of that. So that's kind of a coaching human nature thing that I did there. And I recall it was another guru, but we had, so I, I noticed that I enjoyed the human aspect of being a boss. So to me, it became a natural that coaching other persons to be better human beings, better bosses 
was was a lot of fun. So so I adhered to that career, and that's how I made the transition. But I must tell you, the first uh, the first summer that I told my golfing friends I was doing executive coaching, they said, "Ah ha ha ha!" You know, they thought he's looking for a job. But the next summer, ah, what are you doing? Coaching? You're still coaching? Oh, tell me more. And I converted five of these as clients. Not to coach them, but to coach people that work for them. So mm-hmm. that's the transition. Now, what do I, what would I tell founders? Uh, what I tell everybody is that in in angel investing or early stage investing, the most important thing is the founder or the co-founders. And even if their project is not quite right, uh, they will figure it out and they will pivot. So the human qualities and especially the values of these people are key. And it's no coincidence that uh, Peter Mazek, who started Framework Venture, when he called me first to ask me if I would work with him, right away said, you know, the reason I want you, Michel, is not because you know tech and you know investments, it's because you're a coach, okay? And, And he wanted that in his team. So, and also routinely at Framework Venture, each and every one of our CEO in our portfolio companies, we assign them a coach. Okay? And it's not me because I would be in conflict. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm an investor, but we have a, a number of coaches we use in the US and in Canada to coach our CEO. So we believe in being side by side with them to help them do the right thing at all times. So the human being, the leaders, is the most important thing. And if they're smart, it's a plus. I mean, you, know, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't invest in them if they weren't smart. But more important than smart is ethics and values and, and, and resistance, you know, buoyancy. Okay? Falling is not a problem. Coming back up is, is what counts, right? And, and learning, making mistakes. you got to fail fast, you know, but learn fast. Don't make the same mistake twice because then you're not learning but if you make no mistakes you're not going to progress and if you apply that to the people that you manage and you don't allow them to take risks you're not going to grow you're not going to create something uh, tremendous of, of global value so you have to allow them to fail you have to leave them space so that's probably the second thing i would i would tell these people but usually these founders they know that Later on, what I would have to tell them is maybe they have to leave their, their, their seat because if they've been successful at growing it so much, they're, they're probably going to be bored if, you know, in, in the role that it takes now to keep it growing at a slower pace. and, uh, and More of an operational role. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, you have hunters and farmers and yep. you can't exchange them. And you have people good at, at, uh, at climbing, other uh, at diving, <laughs> uh, some at uh, spending money and others at uh, not spending money, cutting costs. And, uh, but we don't like those so much in our, in our industry. You know, we like to be on the, uh, on the upside. For sure. Um, no, that's awesome. So I, I like the, the fail fast and the, the grow and learn and make sure you take the risks because the risks are going to give you the rewards. And if they don't, you'll repivot and you'll figure out where to go next. Yeah. Um, and you hear this a lot on fail fast. Can you describe a little bit more what you mean by fail fast? Because I think a lot of the time we don't even realize we're failing and we're kind of just keep going back to the same well, thinking that something's going on, but really we failed and we should just pivot or we should change the mindset. So how do you 
get founders to recognize what a fail means and what that looks like, at least from a high level perspective, so that they can keep this in mind as they build and risk. So when you're in the hole, you have to stop digging. But the question is, how do you know if you're in, in the hole? Well, usually if you if you're accompanied by people of structure, you will have a that you've put on the table and that plan has milestones and and targets and kpis so you will realize if you're hitting them or not right if you're hitting them and not recognizing that it's not always the fault of the environment covid or someone else but that maybe has something to do with you or with the business model then you know you recognize and and then you pivot so so it's awareness it's the same in coaching the first step of coaching is knowing yourself if you don't know yourself, you, you can't go anywhere. So when you're a business leader, you have to be aware, you have to look at the signs, and you have to be uh, humble and realize that this grandiose vision that you had, it's not happening. And, and so next vision or, or version of the vision. But so smart people realize that and they have to be detached from their uh, pride. You have no ownership of, of the thing. And if someone else has a better idea, you have to be welcoming of other people's ideas as well. I like that. Uh, and the humble part and kind of being aware, I think it makes a lot of sense and value for that founder. Yeah. And I think you'll they'll yeah. realize those once they realize who they are. They yeah. can start to see these things as they're in that hustle. Right. And uh, that, that pivot and being part of a plan makes a big difference. And you're right, when you start to get to a, uh, a level playing field and things are getting boring. Uh, how do you kind of ramp that up? What type of risks are you going to be taking? Uh, yeah. We have a startup and they said to me the other days, like if, if you gave me $10 million, I don't even know what I'd do with it. Right. And I was like, okay, well, that's something that we need to talk about. We need to figure <laughs> that out then. Yeah. because uh, you're in a good spot, but $10 million would do a lot of things for businesses. But in their yeah. mind, they weren't able to shape that because they didn't build that next plan. So now his whole plan was, I need to build this plan and that's what's going to get me to move forward. Yeah. So I think that um, having that plan really makes a big difference. And how do you see that plan shifting from that pre-seed, pre-revenue? Yeah. How do you yeah. keep them motivated to keep shifting that plan yeah. to get to that Series A? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll start the other way. I'll start at Framework and I'll tell you at Framework, once we've invested in a portfolio company in the, in the first month, we do what we call an atomic growth framework. We sit down with them, roll up the sleeves, and we figure out the path between now and $100 million of revenue. And we figure out what that path means for each one of these executives with milestones. Not to say that this is what will happen over the next three years. It, it never is. But before you can change a plan, you got to have one. <laughs> so you have to document your plan. Okay. Now, if I go to the earlier stage, I don't think we could do that because it's it's too early. I mean, you don't know what you don't know yet. So the plan that you have is less detailed. It's more of a vision. It's 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 not totally clear, but you have a direction and you have big dreams. You know, I see so many decks, you know, I see uh, hundreds of decks, desks, uh, decks per month. And, you know, you get bored of seeing these uh hockey stick financials. Uh, I mean, after the first year, 
18 months, you know, I, I don't care what's uh, right of that, of that column because so many things will change. So I, so I'm not as intense in asking them to have detailed plans beyond 18 months, but, but the first, you know, 18 months should be pretty clear as to what you want to try. And, and also clear in terms of which triggers would tell you that it's not happening and that you need to rethink the plan. So it would be a different type of plan. If I take an analogy uh, between planning and control, you know, if you're general electric, the, the world is plan and control. You know, you plan your budget, you inject resources, you inject talent, and then you control and it happens. But if you're a startup, you can't do plan and control. You need to do sense and react. If you try to use plan and control on a bicycle and you would say, okay, I'm, I'm on the ground, uh, step one, I put my foot on the pedal. Step two, I push as if I release the other foot. You're going to crash, man. It's not going to happen this way. It has to be sense and react. So you have to sense that you're going to the left. You have to... So that a startup is sense and react. It's not plan and control. So with that sense and react, what I love about that analogy is that that means that in the early stage, the founder really needs to be in the weeds. They really need to understand their business. Oh, yeah. And sometimes I think a lot of the founders, um, after they get that first round of funding, they try to, they get pushed, I think, to kind of step back and be this planner and be this mm. uh, guru of something that they don't know what's going on. When in fact, they should be really enthralled inside of the mix and learning exactly what's going on and trial and error and figuring it out until you can get to that stage. And maybe it's series A is that stage, but so you can work through all of those problems so that you know it better than anybody else on your team, because the only consistent factor in an early stage company is you or the co-founder. Everything else can change in an instance. Agreed. So if that person isn't in understanding that and baking that process in that happens later, which is as you further grow up, then your sales becomes repetitive and automated. If you don't have that knowledge, it's just going to keep failing all the way through and you'll never get to that uh, end goal, which is, as you said, um, building in that $100 million atomic plan. You're not yeah. going to get to build that because you're not able to sense and react quick enough. Exactly. You have, be, you have to be close to the ground. Yeah, you can't be in your tower for sure. But you were asking before, you know, how it is that I get to be involved on the board. It's the structure of the, uh, the way I get involved. I mean, Ash Quebec has a structure and uh, it's part of the term sheet that says from day one, even before the term sheet, we tell them that if this works, you will have on your board two of our angels. It's, uh, it's not an option. Right. And later on, of course, it's never an option if you're Series A and beyond, and that's going to happen. But some startups, sometimes you find they say, no, no, the board is three people, it's us. And we, we, we. but for angels, uh, it's not acceptable. It's uh, no deal if you don't want us on the board, at least at Tange Quebec. I don't know everywhere else. But so that's why it's forced. And uh, difficulty then on our part is to find the right people. And uh, but we're working on that uh, very seriously. We're doing our strategic plan uh, at Ange Quebec. It'll be delivered to our board on on May May of this year. And uh, we, you know we're making some very it's 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 Angel version three now. It's, we've skipped from one to three, and uh, it's it's really uh, quite a change in uh, the processes and 
So we're really maturing. I think we're already one of the best angel groups in the world, but this time we're giving it another, another notch. No, I like that. And, and I've been, uh, um, following along with you guys and what you're doing at Ange Quebec. And, um, I'm excited to be chatting with your newest, uh, CEO of, of, um, Ange Quebec in June. Genevieve. Um, yes. Yep. Very excited. I went through her profile and I was like, you guys locked, locked in a rock star. I'm like, she has an incredible background. So very I exciting. Part, I was part of the group that picked her. So <laughs> I'm quite happy that, uh, and, and I was the interim CEO. And so I was eager to, uh, to find somebody, uh, you know, pretty quickly, but not to say that we botched a job, you know, we were very lucky to, to, to find that person that was available at that point. Uh, young uh, woman on top of that and great, great experience in the, in the investment business. So uh, yeah, you'll have huge, a good, huge. You'll have a good interview with her for sure. No, very excited. Yeah. And I, like I said, great background. I thought she would be a huge fit for kind of the changes that you guys were implementing too, and where you're going with Ange Quebec. And uh, we've had multiple discussions, but basically uh, excited for what you guys have been doing. So very cool. Um, now to, to kind of transition a little bit, but maybe, so the coaching thing, I think is really amazing how it allows for you to work with the startups, educate them, help them feel a little bit more comfortable in what they're doing, which I actually think would help those startups really, um, adapt quicker and faster because you have methodologies, you have a way to interact with them. They're going to kind of look at you, as I mentioned earlier, as that sensei, because they, they don't understand a lot of these moving parts and how entrepreneurship works. It's their first, maybe second company if they're lucky, but they probably never had this type of mentorship or coaching. So I think that that really defines how this business can have some success. Um, but now you kind of are going to shift into this board position. And I'd like to explore more about how, one, how you got into the board side. You took a course on it. You got um, all of the credentials on that, which again, I think is phenomenal. Very few angels or VCs go through that process. Um, but I think it carries, again, a lot of weight because I think there's such a misunderstanding of what a board is supposed to do for a company. Oh, you bet. Um, yeah. And it's unbelievable. It's almost like a group of people that don't hang out, that are on a piece of paper, that are accountable to uh, all of the investors that don't share anything that don't really talk about anything. And you kind of wonder, is this just a, a picture play, but what really is the meat and potatoes of why these are here? And maybe you can start by just sharing that because I think you would educate a lot of people on what, what's yeah. the point of a board and yeah. how do you form one? Well, the typical uh, CEO of a startup uh, takes a board is a, is there to control them. Uh, on behalf of the shareholders, which which is a mistake. I mean, the, the board is there to help them, but there's that's the fundamental problem of perception of what the board is. The other flawed perception is that the board is just a networking uh, platform. So you want on your board, according to this theory, you want the people that can bring you the sales because they have access to the market. Wrong again. Okay, so what the board is, of course, legally, it is the entity that hires the CEO or fires the CEO. It is the entity that approves the strategy. Okay, it doesn't make strategy. Okay, the saying is nose in, fingers out. Okay, 
So, so you have to smell everything. You have to be aware of everything. You have to uh, approve orientations, but you're not running the company. They are, but, but you're there to show them the fences, to, to question, you know, to ask difficult, difficult questions and to make sure the shareholders are protected because that's your duty. Uh, but you're also uh, not only uh, uh, reporting to the shareholders, but you also now with the, with our laws, you're also responsible for the other stakeholders, whether they're suppliers, whether they're the community. You know, it's the, the legal system makes it now that your responsibility is is beyond just responsible for the shareholders. So, but that's the theory. That's governance, and that's what you learn at school. But if you're coming back to the startups, they, what they have to understand is that you're there to make them grow to give them uh, directions and support. Because if you have the right experience there, you will, you will uh, agree with the pivoting, okay? You, you won't necessarily cause it because it has to come from management, but you will be uh, with them hand in hand going through the implications of that pivot. I love it. And that's a great explanation. And I love that you took it from this uh, sales funnel and turn it into the fiduciary responsibility of what is actually occurring inside of this right. and how it not only benefits the uh, shareholders, but it actually benefits the CEO of the company and keeps that business in line to the direction that the CEO is setting. And I'm going to use this line for, from you forever because I think it just knocks it out of the park nose in fingers out yeah I, so, I love that because that's really yeah. what you're doing right you're you're going yeah. in you're taking this overview of what's yeah. going on in this plan yeah. and you're not in there to do the work you're not in there to write the plan for them but yeah. you're coaching them to get to that stage where it's something that's applicable and executable and then go out and test it and then again go back to your coaching side if they're not uh, in the right spot and they might right the business isn't going down that right framework then you can get in there and make, hey, it's not working. You might not see you're digging a hole right now, but you're digging one. It's time yeah. to get out and kind of get above water here. Yeah, yeah. There could be some factual uh, holes like that one, but uh, the coaching part from the real coach to the CEO can also be helping um, on keeping the head reasonable size. You know, what happens when your CEO gets a term sheet uh, a year from now with, I don't know, $200 million of value for his company? Okay. Mm. There's, there's, there's an exercise there in having them live with that. Right. And, and, and maybe rejecting it because that's not the end game yet. Right. So as an investor, you have to agree with the founders as what's the end game. Okay. If your end game as an investor is a hundred million and your CEO is 25 million, you're not, you're not aligned, but you have to start this, discussing that from day one. And then you have to deal with the emotional side, you know, uh, as some people are at 200 million. I mean, they, they, they now think they own the truth, mm. <laughs> but unfortunately, as we've seen multiple examples in the world, uh, you don't necessarily uh, own the truth and the truth changes. <laughs> yeah. That's the problem. What used to work in the fifties don't, don't work much these days. <laughs> no, exactly. And sometimes okay. what, uh, what goes up does come down. So Exactly. Uh, a lot of founders don't always see that. And I, we were talking about that a little bit at the beginning where, you know, they're working in the weeds, they're working hard. And then all of a sudden they get that first amount of money. It's almost, they sense the blood and then it happens. And then that's where the CEO starts to shift 
and yeah. gets more, I think, more out of the business, but also not uh, balancing enough of what the opportunity is on the table. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like I was driving a Chevette and now I'm driving a Lamborghini and I forget that I still have to run and operate a business that was able to com uh, contribute to all of these factors. And I think sometimes it's that gradual learning as you go so that you don't hit bigger pitfalls uh, because you become out of the weeds and you forget what your business is really about. So um, I can see where there can be a lot of uh, faults that grow if the founder isn't coached along those ways, just so that they can balance out that and still put the same hustle into what they're doing every day, regardless if they're 200 million or 2 million. Yeah. You know, there's a big difference between value and values. And if your value is driven, you're headed the right way. If you're value driven, just value driven, you're bound to maybe fall at some point. Uh, the best people that I've coached are those that are driven in their job by a sense of accomplishment, which touches directly their values. I'll give you an example. You know, I was coaching a head of sales for a pharmaceutical. And when he wakes, when he wakes up in the morning, goes to work, he's curing people. The drug that he was selling was a uh, um, organ replacement, you know, type of, of, of drug that, that keeps the pain away when you've plugged in a new heart or whatever. And so what he's doing is not reaching quotas with, with his team of 12 salesmen. What he's doing is helping people not suffer. So that's being value driven. And you can find that it doesn't have to be health related. You can find that in society in many, many places, you know, impact investing with some of my companies, ed tech, you know, trying to make students more, uh, you know, more performant, uh, whether it's through tutoring or whatever. If you're goal driven that relating to your personal human values, you will do the right thing at all times. But if you're only worried about the dollar sign, at some point, you might not go in the right direction. Things can pivot for that in that uh, your mindset for sure and go the opposite of the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, when you, you talk about driven, which is obviously the passion, can you find that in the a CEO when you first meet them? The she or he, does it stand out right away? And you're like, I can, I can. In. I don't know if everybody, everybody can, but I can. You and what are, the, nice. what are the signs? What do you look for? It's hard to it's hard to say, you know. You you'll you'll see it when it's there, but uh, you know, of course, you need intellect. You need uh, you see it in the eyes, but you see it in the body language as well. And of course, you look at their past. But you just have a frank discussion of what is it that they're looking for in life, and and if they haven't thought it out, that's not a good sign. So, and it's not a question of age, right? Sometimes they're really young but they know what they're there for. They know what they want to accomplish. And it starts from within them. If they're trying to mimic some Elon Musk or whatever image they have, then it's not sincere. I mean, you're just trying to be a copycat of something. Oh, I want to start this new marketplace. Okay, I've seen two dozen this week. <laughs> yep. So, so, so they need to be uh, original and innovative, but it has to start from their heart and their, and their values, really. And that's where you see the passion. Yeah, I like it. Perfect. Well, I think we've, uh, uh, I guess, just to end up this board positional side of things, yeah. um, maybe 
just to summarize, is there three things that stand out that you would say when you should get a board? Is it seed, pre-seed, series A? Um, and outside of when you should get a board, um, how do you compensate for it? What do you recommend for a compensation? And three, how much time do you think people should put into that board? Meaning if they're on the board. And the last one is, what are two things where you think somebody has outgrown the board? Mm -hmm. Well, when, uh, if you're doing the, the three Fs, you know, uh, friends, families, and fools, that's, that's probably too early. The, then the board is you and daddy. Uh, but as soon as you take some external investors that are not in your family, I think that's, that's the right time to start having a board. Maybe it's three people at that time. Uh, and then, of course, if you do angel investing, the structure will, will take you there. Uh, how do you compensate the board? We don't have one fast uh, and set rule at Ange Québec about uh, remunerating our board members. Certainly, the founders don't need remuneration. Uh, in general, the angel group does not like the idea that their angel representatives are going to be uh, compensated on the board, but it's not forbidden. Uh, and if it's if it's happening, and I have about a mix in my in my companies, most of the time I'm not uh, compensated. But if I am, it's go, it's never going to be cash, right? So it, it'll be some options or some scheme of phantom shares or whatever. Uh, but if I then if we do take an independent, because usually we have two founders, two angels, and one independent, then you know you have to give him something. He's not an investor, so he's not going to spend all of his time for, for free. So then you have to have compensation for this person. Uh, how much time, how much effort? You know, typically, of course, at least one meeting uh, per, per uh, quarter. So four meetings a, uh, a year. But on top of that, certainly an annual planning, uh, which is more of a half day or more. And, and then you got to be ready, uh, maybe one more around budgeting time. So instead of four, you got to be thinking six, seven dates and the work is not only during that of course you gotta you have to do the reading uh there's nothing worse than a board where the ceo is reading you a deck that he didn't have time to send you because he finished it at midnight last night you know you have to have the material a week ahead and everybody's read it and we're not going to go slide by slide we're going to concentrate on the issues that we haven't resolved. And we, we, you know, we have to try and answer the questions that you do have, you, the CEO of us, and vice versa. So it's got to be productive exchanges. I like it. That's awesome. Okay. And, and you had one on outgrowing. Who's outgrowing who in your question? Uh, when the board, uh, when you should be changing the board. Ah, it, uh, all along. All along, uh, obviously, it, it happens naturally. I mean, the new set of investor comes in and says, you know, if I'm putting in 10 mil in your company, I'm going to be on the board. So naturally, the, 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 just the investment cycles will bring new new persons. Uh, at some point, of course, the founder, one of the founders has to step back and we don't need two founders for 10 years, right? So, so it evolves, but it, it evolves naturally. No, and, and just to summarize, I think those are uh, great responses. I think, you know, if you're looking at that probably earlier on, maybe four to six, and then it's going to grow six to eight times uh, a year with a half yeah. day of planning, right. uh, maybe once or twice, yeah. you're going to focus heavily on um, working the board 
uh, I guess, with the CEO, planning weeks in advance, getting material out. Yeah. And then I think the uh, the biggest one is that making sure that you have targets, that you're building things to grow inside of the business so you have somewhere to yeah. go. Yeah, absolutely. And on the, um, and I guess now we'll, we'll kind of take that and transition into, um, I love getting a little bit of a storyline. I think we've learned a lot today, but is there a story that kind of just really encapsulates all the years that you've been investing in startups and you just had this one startup that just really blew your mind away. You couldn't believe this was going to happen. Uh, they just somehow pulled a cat out of the bag and they, they made it work. They were going to fail or they were going to win or something. Uh, just some heartfelt story that really shows what it takes to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> ah, there's many, many stories, of course, many, many stories of uh, pivoting and uh, almost failing, coming back. Uh, and there's, of course, stories of good exits. Uh, you know, my best exit until, until this year, I, I was, I was chair of that company and I got hired, uh, to run the board because there was dissension among the investors. And the first thing I had to do was fire, fire the, the CEO. So, uh, in that case, uh, my role had been, uh, hiring the CEO. And then the CEO uh, looked around the investors and said, okay, I need uh, another million or whatever it was to, to, to get this company going. And the investors were tired and said, now you're not getting any more money. So the CEO said, well, in that case, I'll buy the company and I'll do it. And he says, Michelle, do you buy the company with me? And I said, yeah. So that was my best exit. And in that case, I, you know, I, I was kind of earning it because I picked the CEO and I invested the company. Okay. Second example is totally the, the opposite. I mean, I just invested as an angel. Uh, the, uh, usually we do lots of work in due diligence, right? In this case, there was no due diligence. Why? Because we didn't finish the job as angels. Not We didn't get to the uh, due deal that a, a fund from the U.S. had put in a term sheet. And then the, C, the founder said, well, I have my term sheet. And so I, I, I led the group of angels. I sat on, on a phone call with the investors in the U.S. and I asked this, uh, this fund if they had a, a report to share with me on due deal. They said, no, we don't do that. We know this space and we like the company and here's the money. Okay, so it looks quite disorganized. But if, if you fast forward, and there's been a couple rounds since then, uh, it's the biggest exit that I've never seen. Uh, and it's happening right now. And it's like a, a 30X type of thing, and uh, which is unbelievable. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, I, I, spent, uh, I spent the afternoons uh, distributing about $30 million to 15 people. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's not, it's not the money. It's the achievement of having helped a company grow big, mm. grow really big. Uh, the entrepreneur was surrounded with good advice. Uh, it was a nice space and, uh, and all the circumstances of the perfect storm the right way, you know, and, and, and someday this story will be public and uh, we'll be able to share all of that. But uh, two different stories, but uh, two good outcomes, two good outcomes. And of course, uh, we won't talk about the other outcomes, but you learn from each and every one of these outcomes. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's pretty exciting, and I and I like the fact that uh, someone took a risk without having all the material, but just had a hunch that this was the right one. Absolutely, 
not a bad hunch for that U.S. venture partner. Exactly. And I think that comes down to that. Uh, maybe you can call it velocity investing, which is where I like to go, which is, you know, you got a hunch, get in behind it and make sure that there's some other great partners investing that want to take a deeper role in supporting and helping, yeah. but yeah. jump in and go quick. Absolutely. Don't let Love an it. opportunity pass. Yeah. Well, some great stories. We're going to now jump into our rapid fire questions. So these are okay. the questions that you were doing your homework on, which is great. All right. So okay. you kind of talked a little bit about this one. So yeah. um, how did you get started in investing into startups? Yeah. From boards to becoming, you know, somebody asked, can you invest in it? Do you know somebody that can invest? And that's how I did it. Yeah. I love it. Um, why do you invest? Well, I love innovation and technology. I, I enjoy helping entrepreneurs build something that's new and exciting. You know, sometimes we refer to that as the shiny object, a new shiny object. It, it makes me dream of how we can make the world better with, with new stuff, right? So that, that excites me. So reading decks, I love reading decks uh, of new ideas. I get bored with some decks because some, some are just trying to, the same recipe all the time, but if it's really innovative, it, uh, it gets me going. Uh, what's your favorite part of investing? Dreaming the future. Uh, and then reaping the rewards, but dreaming the future is even more fun than reaping the rewards. I like it. How many companies do you invest in per year? Uh, three to five myself and uh, around five with uh, the, the fun framework venture. So total of 10, maybe. You're breaking the average. I like it. Uh, any verticals you like to focus on? Fintech, uh, impact investing, uh, anything SaaS. Uh, yeah. Okay. Do you have any due diligence requirements that you look for before you make a commitment? I don't know. With what I answered before, you know, <laughs> yeah, at Arash, Arash Quebec, we have a formal process and, of course, an even more formal process uh, at Framework. Uh, but, you know, there was this one instance where there was no uh, due deal and it, uh, it, it still worked out at that point. But normally that's not what you would require. You know, you can't say go in blindly. Uh, but there's something, and, and I mentioned before, we are revamping the processes at, at Ange Quebec. And one of the things we're looking at is, is shortening the, the time. Uh, and it's, it's complicated because you're dealing with volunteers. You know, some of these people have, have jobs. Uh, so you, you have to draw a process where there are clear milestones and, and clear expectations of what need to be accomplished by uh, to speed that up. And you have to, to know where to stop as well. Okay? Stop digging. I mean, you have the 80% rule, you know, Pareto go you're not investigating ge you know <laughs> and it's not a nuclear plant i mean uh, it won't be perfect it's a startup so yep. you know and, and the people that ask financial plans to the to the cent for the next 18 months come on this is not going to happen yes we need a budget but uh you gotta stop somewhere Agreed. And uh, timeline, you mentioned you're changing it. What is the typical timeline for yourself or for any of the uh, venture groups you're part of? Uh, probably eight weeks is a good number for eight to 10 weeks for a startup. Uh, if you're going series A, B, maybe it's uh, 12 to 16. But if you're really uh, nimble and agile, you can still do it in six, eight weeks, I think, even if it's a larger deal. I like it. Uh, and you talked about a couple of these things indirectly, but 
what other DD materials do you look for that fit outside of your typical, typical paperwork and things like that around yeah. teams? Well, the human side. Yeah. It's the human side. That's why I get, I get involved and I, I have a test that I, a questionnaire that I apply to them. It's called Predom. It's from France because I, that's where I picked it up, but it's like an MBTI on steroids. If you want, you know, Myers-Briggs, that sort of yep. thing. So it's a profile that tells you, uh, what uh, what makes this person tick? Uh, what do they enjoy doing and not enjoy? And uh, you have to if you do it for the team, then you can see gaps. So of course, yeah, the human side you need to understand the new, the human side and the values. I mentioned it several times already. So you need to get a sense for their values. I'm gonna have to get you to send me that. I'm gonna take it. I don't know if I want to share the results, but I would love to take that test. I'll send um, it to you. I'll send it to you right after. I love it. Uh, okay. Um, do you lead rounds? Yeah. Angels typically lead rounds and uh, framework. We are always lead or co-lead. Yes. Okay. Do you have preferred terms that you like to invest in? Well, if for the angels preferred shares is, I think is, is preferred, but, uh, you know, we do safe kiss, uh, convertible adventures. I mean, the whole, I mean, there's circumstances for each one of these. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, and do you do follow on investments and what percent? Well, as an angel, I'd say I'd say it's almost hundred percent because you don't have the discipline to, to, to uh, that a fund has. Uh, now, if you're the fund, of course, you you'll reserve, and then after a while, okay, you will reserve money for half of the investments you've made, and maybe even less because you have the discipline to do that, and that's it's, it's a machine at that stage. But but for angels, you know, you, the tendency uh, is to protect your investments. Maybe not right, but you, you'll put in more money because you don't want to lose the first one uh, if you're a fund you you know you don't have that uh, that sensitivity and you're doing it with the numbers so as an angel yes probably too many times too long you you, you follow too long i like it and, and you did answer this but yeah. um taking board seats yeah. how often is it is it uh, i'm assuming it's pretty quite common then it's quite common but not for all angels and that's that's one of our issue is to find enough people interested in, in dedicating themselves to taking these board seats because that's where the value is in that. You know, our motto at Ange Québec is investir et s'investir, which is invest, but to invest yourself as well. So all of our members uh, are subscribing to that uh, motto, but uh, you know, not everybody is quick on saying, okay, I want to spend a lot of my time doing this. So you know, we have to resolve that. And we have ways in which we're working now with our plan to uh, get more angels to get involved properly. Because we, that's, that's a critical part of what we're bringing. I agree. And uh, to that, you pretty much answered the next question. So I think what we'll do just based on time, so we keep everything aligned, I'm going to, uh, we're going to jump into the personal side. Oh. Yeah. So the, I don't, we don't talk about this one. We leave this one right to the end. So we get out all the okay. good stuff. Surprise um, me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so on the personal side, first question, what's your favorite sports team? I don't uh, watch sports. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> I would say Canadians, but they're losing all the time. So, well, being that you're from Montreal, I'm going to let you take Canadians because uh, <laughs> someone has to be cheering for them because you're right. They're not doing very well this year. But my son's favorite team was the Maple Leafs for a long time because we did live in Toronto for a while. So he picked it up. Ah, okay. Fair enough. All right. Favorite movie. And what character would you play in the movie? That's tough. So many good movies. Oh, what? That's a tough one. 
okay, I'll say the, I'll say, I'll say a series. I'll say the Sopranos. Okay. <laughs> oh, now what character? Oh, I want to be his wife. <laughs> Tony Tony Soprano. Tony the Soprano's wife. Tony Soprano. I actually never watched the series, so oh. I've watched like little tidbits of it. I yeah. think one day I'm going to have to go back and watch this series, but uh, I'm going to write that down. I don't know what her name is, but I'm going to dig into that and find out what her character is like. Very cool. Uh, okay. Um, and then the last question is, what is your superpower? Mm, I read minds. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I read intentions. That's, that's, that's what's important. No, I agree. I don't know if I want to ask, but uh, what am I thinking right now? I can't do that with Zoom. You have to be in my presence. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, that's good. Well, those are some great skills. I'm going to have to check out the movie. It's a great yeah. superpower to have. And uh, outside of that, uh, Michelle, I want to say thank you very much for all your time today. Uh, I, I can say that even though I try, I say this all the time, I'm trying not to take notes, but I do. I can't help it. <laughs> uh, I, I'm old school that way. I just like writing down things that you're saying. There's a lot of great stuff there. Um, I learned a lot. I think the community is going to learn even more um, with everything that you've shared today. Um, I guess one last thing before we do uh, transition out is how do people get a hold of you if they're looking to get a, in touch with you? On What's LinkedIn. the best way? LinkedIn? LinkedIn. Everybody will find me on LinkedIn. Done. We'll make sure that happens. Uh, outside of that, we like to leave you with the last word, Michelle. So anything you want to say to the entrepreneurs or to the startup community or to the investors, um, I leave it to you. But again, thank you very much for all your time today. You were awesome. I'll just say to them, follow your heart. Can't go wrong. Done. I love it. Thank you. Thank you very much again for your time today. Pleasure. Okay. That was fantastic with Michelle. Um, man, so many takeaways. Their atomic plan to uh, make mistakes, correct, pivot, fail fast, uh, coaching and what the, the best way to help coach early stage founders, uh, the board seats, putting those together how you remunerate the people that are on that board, but just lots of great details. Really, uh, really enjoyed that conversation. Uh, so I implore you to like, share, tweet, all that good stuff, but all of them are all over here. But thank you again for joining us. And thank you very much, Michelle, for being part of uh, our uh, Ask an Angel podcast. Have a great day.